This is the official podcast of Elamir, where we have conversations with B2B storytellers about how they go about doing what they do. So we're really excited to have you on here, Kelly. Um, this is going to be fun. I'm excited. I've been I've been wanting to talk with you about some of this stuff for a while, so I'm excited to do it on uh, officially on a podcast. And we're also joined uh, by Hannah Miller, who's our head of story here at Elamir. Very excited that you're joining as well, Hannah. Yeah, me too. I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation today, Kelly. So I guess yeah. to get to get started, uh, can you just tell me? And for folks who don't know who you are, uh, what you do and what what Rent Ready is. Yeah, so um, I work in growth marketing, um, and right now I'm the vice president and head of growth at Rent Ready. Um, I mostly work for early stage startups that are in hyper growth mode and help them build out their different marketing channels. Um, everything is usually performance based, so if we spend, you know, a certain amount of money on advertising, we expect a return of customers to sign up and subscribe to our service. Um, <laughs> Rent Ready is B2B SaaS um, software. So software for landlords, property managers, um, real estate investors. It's meant to make renting very easy for landlords and their tenants. Um, Everything it's, you know, we use the term one stop shop, but everything from screening tenants, listing units, um, to Zillow, realtor.com, doorsteps, um, you know, tenants can download an app, pay their rent through rent ready on the app. It's very easy. They can pay cash, credit card, um, and then ACH payments. Um, we offer rent reporting to tenants. We offer, um, they can get their rent reported to the credit bureaus. Um, and we offer renters insurance and then landlords can manage all their units, um, on rent ready. Um, they can add as many tenants as they want. They can add their maintenance, um, partners. Um, and they can also, um, purchase different types of software that we have third party integrations with like yeah. accounting software and managed maintenance. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. It's, it's been fun getting to see, uh, Rent Ready's product because it's it's really a very impactful and new product in the market. Like I I've dabbled a tiny bit in some management of rental properties, and what you guys have is a it's a big deal because it's really easy to do, um, and it essentially takes the place of of a lot of the tasks that somebody would have to do to manage a property. It really does it all. So it's it's pretty cool seeing what what you guys offer. We are, um, you know, Rent Ready was founded, you know, years ago, but the idea was to get people off of spreadsheets um, and build software for it. So it's a new, when I joined, you know, over, I joined over three years ago um, with the founding team and um, there were, I think, 150 landlords on the platform at the time um, using Rent Ready. But really it was a new concept at the time, you know, and everybody was, it was, I always say it's, re it's it was an area ready for disruption um, yeah. to move into the tech space and off of the way we used to do things. Totally. How did Rent Ready find you? Like you're part of the founding team. Do you know Ed and Ryan personally? Or no, I um, 
I was, I was in an interesting place in my life where I um, was, I had left one job and I had told myself that I would take the time to look for the next job and make sure it was the right fit for me. I was very burnt out. Um, you know, I'd been working, I've spent the majority of my career working in Manhattan and this was pre-COVID. Um, this is back in 2019. And I was actually pregnant at the time with my third kid. And I was really just didn't want to be in that burnt out atmosphere of just go, 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 go. And I was thinking like, what do I want to do next? And I had applied to different jobs just on the internet, you know, um, through LinkedIn, through different places. And I had talked to different CEOs and, you know, had networked. Um, but I found Rent Ready on AngelList and I had applied to the job because it's, you know, I had never, I'd always done growth marketing, you know, once the, um, once, the companies had raised, you know, their series B, series C. So they were very well established. They had their funnels. It was very easy. Um, their goals, it was very easy for them to give us, you know, whether it was a million dollars or $4 million and say, spend it, go convert as long as you convert. And we would build campaigns. It was very easy to build the campaign when the rest of the funnel was all set up. Um, and I had only worked for, um, D to C companies. So just selling very simple subscription boxes like food kits and uh, beauty boxes, things people want, things that are very easily easy to sell to a market of, you know, say, oh, the, the young professionals will love this. Moms 25 to 45 will buy this. And, and it's very easy to sell to that audience. Um, this, I was very good at selling stuff that nobody needs, but everybody wants. Um, so <laughs> when you go to you know, I think I had applied to a fashion company and got very close in the process, but they felt that I didn't have enough B2B experience. And I was like, well, maybe I should go out and get, you know, B2B SaaS experience. Um, and I saw Rent Ready, you know, was they had just raised their first uh, seed round of 1.5 million. And it was, they were building that first team. And I thought, you know, they talk about, you know, in growth marketing, how you go from your first, getting your first hundred subscribers, and then you get your next a thousand subscribers, and then you go to 10,000, and then, you know, 25,000, and then, you know, it starts to snowball. And I had thought, I was like, well, I've never really done that before. And I wanted, you know, how do you get to 10,000? Like, that's fascinating. Um, you know, it's probably really hard, but, you know, I wanted to be able to put that on my resume. So Rent Ready was looking for someone to take them from 150 landlords to the 10,000. We had, we had a doc at the time in the early days called the road to 10,000. And I met the founders. Um, and, you know, instead of giving me in the interview process, they actually gave me their investor pitch on the company, um, that the same pitch deck that they were going out giving all their investors that they had just raised the 1.5 million. And it was really interesting. Um, and I had met Ed, um, he's one of the co-founders and we ended up having like a two and a half hour conversation 
Um, I think it was supposed to be like 30 minutes. Um, and then he was like, well, could you, um, he's like, I'd love for you to talk to Ryan later today. And I was like, well, I was like, I'm like, I have to, I had something to do. And I was like, I'm only free after three, but my kids are home. And he's like, you know, I'm like, I don't want to do that. Cause this was again, pre COVID, you didn't do things like, you know, you were very specific about not working when your kids were home um, or, you know, having the opportunity of a kid come in and photobomb or whatever, you know, um, that was a big no, no. And he was like, no, don't worry about it. It's okay. Um, and I was like, and I really appreciated that. And I ended up having, I stuck a post-it on my door and I was like, don't come in. Mom's on a call. <laughs> like they were, they were elementary age and they were both very good. I heard them both like read the note. Okay. We got to be quiet. Mom's on a call. <laughs> um, they, um, but Ryan, um, it was, a, it was, I always say it was one of the hardest interviews of my life because Ryan's our CEO. He is so smart. And he just, the questions he asked were like very intense. Like it was a video meeting, but I say I was like sweating, like, um, but it was really hard, but it was all, you know, we had a very good conversation. And I remember he asked me like, why would you want to work here? And I was like, I want to build a business. Um, and I wanted to help them go from 150 to 10,000. And that to me sounded like so much fun. Um, and they were, you know, they asked me to put together a marketing plan. I got to put it together my first, you know, like a, not my first marketing plan, but a full on marketing plan um, from scratch with all my ideas and they liked it. And then they eventually offered me the job. Um, and I, you know, like I said, I was pregnant at the time, so they were willing to work with me. Um, and it was, um, it was just a really great opportunity for me um, to grow professionally, you know, we, we talk about that. Like, what do you, I always say when you're looking for a job, what bullet points do you want to put on your resume? It's not so much about the title, um, or, you know, you know, what the opportunity, you know, what opportunities are out there for you? Like, and I, I knew exactly, I wanted to say that. And it's, it's been really interesting. I've had a lot of autonomy. Um, I've had a lot of, freedom to live my life. You know, I have, we've had tough parts, you know, definitely hard times, not hard in a bad way, but just stressful. Um, lots of going on at the, at the same time, but you know, I do take my weekends off. I don't, um, I'm not up till midnight, like crunching numbers, like I have been at other jobs and, you know, like it's, it's okay. You know, if something doesn't get done when it gets done, it'll eventually get done and we'll do it the right way and mistakes happen and things happen. But overall, it's just been really fun um, to build this company because now, you know, it's been over three years. I think after just over two years, we crossed that 10,000 landlord mark. And then just this year, you know, we, we added another 5,000. So we're very, we're getting closer to that 20,000. Um, so it's been, it's, it's really fun. So that'll be fun when I can put, you know, 150 subscribers over to 20,000 on my resume, you yeah. know, whenever that is. Um, but. That's a, that's, that's a pretty big deal. <laughs> that's a lot. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. I don't even understand how that's a reality at all. That's so wild. I yeah. didn't, I remember talking to, um, a friend at the time and someone who I used to work with and she was, and I was telling her about it. I just started 
And I'm like, yeah, and they want me to get to 10,000. And I think at the time it was 18 months and it's still pre COVID. Um, COVID was right around the corner. Um, but, um, and she was like, so do you think you can do it? And I was like, I hope so. I'm going to try. Like, <laughs> you kind of just have to say like, yeah, I can do it. Like, and, and try your hardest to succeed. And usually you do, you know, if you try hard. Yep. So we I'm did curious. try hard. We tried very, very hard. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. You guys are, I mean, from an outsider looking in, having worked with you guys, you guys are crushing it. It's, it's, it's such a cool business. And also your team is, is really smart. And I think like one thing we've loved about working with, with you guys is like, we can tell that there's a lot of like, you know, depth to the decisions you're making, but also there's this like playfulness with like trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work and being open to new ideas and then moving, moving quickly. Um, I know we've, we've talked about that before. I wonder, so this is like a storytelling podcast, obviously. So, um, one of the things I love asking folks is how they approach storytelling. So, you know, as you entered this position, this new position, let's go from 150 to 20,000 and beyond, like from a storytelling perspective, how did you approach, like, how did you approach going about doing that? Like, what were you, what was the stories you were selling? What did it look like? Like what kinds of content were you making? Well, we, in the early days, we had this, I mean, n every little trick that I had from my past didn't work. Um, everything that I knew about acquiring new customers did not apply to rent ready. And it was very challenging. Um, we had this big problem in the early days, like of just people would say, is rent ready legit? You know, are you, um, are you a real company? No one had ever heard of us. So we went out into the market saying, buy rent ready, buy rent ready. It's easy. Um, and everyone's like, what is rent ready? Like, and it was like this, we had to kind of almost take a step back. So we had to put ourselves on review sites. Um, and, and that one of the things about that's really cool about rent ready is our customers, the ones who use rent ready, um, and really use all the different parts of it, love it. Um, you know, not everyone loved it at first and, you know, you have your ups and downs, but the ones who really, you know, are super users or whatever you want to call them, um, they love rent ready. And, and so those reviews helped us, but, um, you know, that's sort of, you know, we've always built the product around what are the landlords asking, you know, what do they need to manage their rentals? What would make their tenants happier? Because, you know, people always think negative things about landlords, but really, um, yes, there are some bad ones, but the majority of them want their tenants to be happy because then their business is run properly. Um, and they do nice things, you know, they take care of their properties and they take care of their tenants. Um, and then that tenant will be, you know, a happy customer paying rent for a long time. Um, hopefully, you know, but, um, but, so we're always building, you know, rent ready based on what the feedback is from the landlords. Like I need to do this or I need to do that. Um, you know, we've built different little features that are specific to laws in specific states um, because someone asked for it. But most of us at rent ready in the early days were not landlords. Um, you know, we don't rent, um, homes, you know, we, you know, so we always had to listen to our landlords 
and hear what their problems were and how do we build tech to solve them. So, you know, when we started working with you guys, um, you know, in my past experience, I've always written content that was about testimonials. You know, I tried this, here's what happened. Um, I would take elements of real stories, you know, and put that into written content. So when we started working with you guys, it was very much so like, how can we use our landlords to share their stories about rent ready? Because these are real landlords with, you know, running businesses. Some of them may have a nine to five, or this may be their nine to five. Um, some of them may have kids. Some of them may have different goals. Everyone kind of, you know, does it a little differently. I always say our landlords are no different than entrepreneurs in the tech world. They're all just figuring it out as they go along and rent ready gives them the tools to help. Um, but when we started working with you guys, it was, it kind of got to be fun to talk to our landlords and see, um, what it, you know, what their opinions were and let them tell the story and let them tell their own stories. And the hope is that others would relate to them, um, and see themselves in their shoes because most, you know, there, there's a big, um, I mean, I don't want to call it a movement, but there's a lot of people who are trying to get into property investing, um, you know, and building long-term wealth. So to hear these stories from other landlords, we hope would only help them and encourage them, you know, because they have to figure it out too. There's a lot of pieces to figure out. It's not like you can just go out, buy a house, rent it out. You know, there's, you got to find the house that you can afford to buy. And that makes sense on paper or you know, in a spreadsheet on how to rent that out. But um, let me see, what what was your original question? I think I got off subject a little. No, it, it's all good. Yeah, no, that that's all really interesting. Okay. I was just, I, I, I think. I, oh, I, I, oh, sorry. I know what I was going to say about um, the, um, how we approach our creative. Um, one thing yeah. I was going to say was that, you know, we do test everything. Um, and when I say test everything, I'm talking about performance advertising. You know, if we make a video or if we make an ad, you know, and we spend media dollars against it, we expect a certain number of subscribers to sign up and purchase rent ready. Um, but we do take the approach of all ideas, you know, or most ideas should be tested because you don't know how people are going to react. And if you have the proper tracking in place, um, you know, you can usually see the full funnel and see how people respond to your content. Um, and usually review content works very well in generating new customers. Um, but we always want to take a different spin on things and we always want to, um, add an element of, you know, make sure it doesn't need to be perfect. It, it needs to be honest. It needs to be authentic it comes back down to like the early days, nobody knew what we were. Um, you know, so we need people to know that we are working with real landlords. You know, we, we have, um, they have real problems and we are here trying to help them. You know, we don't, we don't ever want our content to be like overly polished. We don't want to say buy rent ready before we tell you how great rent ready is, or we'd rather show you or have someone else, you know, who's, who looks like a friend maybe, um, referring it to you. Um, that goes a lot, a, f a lot further along the way, but sometimes when we're creating content, um, I think you guys just made a video with us 
um, a week ago with um, one of our landlords and she was amazing. Like it was such a good story. Um, we, and I was like, I think we, you know, me, I met with my team and we talked about it and I was like, you know, my first instinct is there's not enough about rent ready in here. And I'm like, but it's such a happy, warm, friendly story that I think we just have to leave it and test it and like, see how it does. Because like, it was, it was almost like, it was so good. Like it was interesting. It was engaging and it wasn't necessarily what I think, you know, we originally set out to do, but it was, but, but like, you know what, like, let's test it. Cause maybe we're wrong. Maybe what we set out to do isn't the right. And maybe this is something we stumble upon that performs much better. Um, it was just one of those things where you kind of just have to go with your gut and then we'll run some tests and we'll put the numbers because sometimes, you know, we have ideas and they're not right. Um, or they don't work the way we want them to. I mean, that happens all the time. So that's why we just have to keep making, keep testing and eventually totally. we'll find things that work. But sometimes totally. you kind of just want to like, you know, jump in the deep end of the pool or whatever. And just, you know, it was, it had a good feeling. So like, you kind of just have to go with that. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think that's, happens. that's something that uh, is just really exciting for us about doing the kinds of stuff we do is like, I think it's, it's, and also just, I mean, with you guys, with anyone, I think it's just like exciting to, to, to see like, Hey, let's try some things and then, and then get the data in. So it's like really exciting for us to, to like, want, like we want to know, like, how's it performing? We want to be like, you know, cause I, there's so much stuff out there now that just like goes viral and nobody's quite even sure why it does, you know, that I think taking those risks is, you know, sometimes it's going to hit, but then sometimes it won't and that's okay. So it's like, it's, it's exciting for us to start really figuring out, okay, what risks are good to take, what risks aren't good to take. Um, it's part of the reason like working with Laura has been fun, just like really understanding some of the data that she's really gotten into on like YouTube and on the paid ad side um, to see like, Hey, the videos that have these types of decisions in the first few seconds are like playing really well. And then videos that have these kinds of things aren't doing so well. We can start to like see patterns on our end for like creative decisions that we're making even down to like music choice or like graphics we use and things like that. Um, so it's just kind of fun to figure out and like quantify these like very hard to pin down creative decisions that we have to make all the time. Yeah, there's a, I mean, it's a good balance of trying. I mean, in a perfect world, we'll get to a template where we know, you know, the first five seconds, you know, I always say you need a hook, ask a question, um, you know, but that's more for written style or podcasting, um, you know, podcast ads, but um, video, we're, I think we're still in that discovery phase of where, you know, we have, at least at Rent Ready, we have not figured out the perfect um, template for video. Yeah. Um, but I hope we get to this point where we can use our numbers and our data to tell us an exact template. And then we can make, you know, 10 different videos, you know, with 10 different people of the same template. Now that makes it sound a little more boring, but that's where we are making ads and they do have to convert new customers. So in a perfect world, that's where we'd end up. Totally. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. That's really cool. So I'm curious about your background a little bit, like, like how, how you got into, how you got into this line of work and, and why you think about growth the way you do. I'm also curious, I'll ask this first. I think it's really cool that you 
were pregnant with your third kid as you were taking on the what on the face of it seems like an insanely demanding job which is helping make a startup successful i'm curious like you throughout your career is that like a normal thing where you take risks like that where you where you take leaps like that or like like how did you end up in this position um i do take risks a lot in terms of my career um I always joke that I have a husband, you know, if it doesn't work out, it's a small startup, you know, he can, you know, put food on the table and, you know, keep a roof over our heads. But, and then I, my aunt had said to me, she goes, but she goes, you would probably still do that if you didn't have a husband. <laughs> and I laugh because yeah, probably. Um, but no, I, I think this was my, I probably wouldn't have done it if it was my third. I think, um, you know, I was looking for a job and I said, if the right job didn't come around by a certain time, um, then I would wait until after, you know, after I had the baby. Um, but this was the right job. And it was like bordering that deadline of like a couple weeks, um, you know, of like the cutoff that I had set for myself. And I really wanted the job and I knew I could, you know, I knew I could do it if, um, they let me work from home while I was, you know, after, you know, during the maternity leave or post maternity leave for, you know, a I think I had asked for four months or something after the baby was and ease myself back in because I've had, you know, maternity leave for some can be great. It, it can be boring for people who work all the time or focused on 20 different things at the same time. Um, I'd, I always found it very isolating because the whole world goes off and you're left home with a baby and your, your very busy day has stopped or it's, it's still very busy. You're sleepless. You're just, you know, taking care of a newborn is very different than running from meeting to meeting and doing different things. Um, but I didn't want to be away from my baby. Like I wanted to, you know, be with him 24 seven, um, but I also wanted to do some work. So <laughs> I don't know. I'm weird. I always say I'm weird. Um, but it was actually probably the best maternity leave I ever had because it was during COVID. Um, COVID hit two weeks after my third son was born. And I took, you know, I think I took like three to four weeks off of just, you know, I think I had, I had one conversation um, with Ed while during that like four week period. But then I started, I had asked if I could just start doing work on my own pace. Um, and I, I remember, I think I spent like one week, like working on a report. Um, so it was very much, um, you know, it was very much at my pace and because it was at my pace that made it better. Um, and during COVID my whole, my, my other kids were home. My husband was home. Um, it was really nice to have everybody with me. Um, keeping me company and, and the little guy, um, he, he just, he just, you know, I was working from my bed with my laptop on my lap and my little newborn next to me, he was just sleeping and doing nothing. And then after four months, my husband took paternity leave, um, because that was a thing. And he took three months off and I got to spend, you know, the next three months really just focusing in on my job, um, but cool. from home and not being away from the baby. Um, so it was actually, it actually really worked out well. Um, that's cool. But. Did, 
Do you feel like being a mother makes you a better storyteller? I think being a mother makes you um, more empathetic um, to, you know, you get a little more soft. Um, you know, you, you know, whether or not you like cry during movies, you're definitely like have a sore spot for different things. Um, you know, a little more sympathy, a little more empathy. Um, but just like any experience, um, it makes you, you know, you're more, you can relate more to different things, you know, um, because now, you know, it's just a different part of life. Um, you know, it's a different experience that you can share. Um, and I think being a mom, like, or any type of parent, you, I always joke that like, you have to like, sometimes like, you know, you'll be, you know, before my kids, when I get lit up, my older kids were younger and I'd be like running off to the city, like it'd be all dressed up. And then like, if someone like, you know, like you have an important meeting, like, and then, you know, if somebody's sick and like they barf on you or something, all of a sudden your whole day changes. And like <laughs> the kid's sick, you now have to stay home. You have to cancel your meetings and like change your clothes if you're lucky. Um, but like, and take care of a baby, like your world gets flipped upside down because now you're doing something that you have no control over. Um, you know, and you're responsible for that child, of course, and you want to be there for them, but like, it's just like, they can bring, they can pull, I don't want to say pull you down, but they can ground you and flip your world real fast. Um, and you might not have been used to that before. Then I'm curious, what do you think, um, are you saying then maybe that a key to being a good storyteller is a variety of experiences. I mean, what would you say? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, because, well, there's two parts. Like, yes, being a good storyteller is, you know, definitely experiencing many different things, but it's also listening to others and sort of sharing their stories, kind of combining. Because maybe you can't experience something, but you still have to tell a story about it anyway, that's when you can listen to others and share their stories. Um, you have to be able, you know, so I remember, I remember when I was, you know, one of my cousins said to me once that I was, a. she's like, you have the craziest stories. And, and I often thought like, do crazy things happen to me? Or do I just have a way of telling them a certain way? So they're funny, you know, like <laughs> to my cousin, you know? Um, but I think it's an element of both. Um, you know, you do, if you do experience different, you know, those who are creative tend going out looking, they're more, much more curious. So they go out looking for different things, but they're also, you know, able to relate to others and share their stories too. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. I think I can sort of relate to that. Um, as far as like, you know, friends and family being like, why do you attract so much insanity and chaos? Why? And I'm like, well, maybe I'm not. I think I just. Yeah. It, it, just it, find, well, it finds you so you can share its stories. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't feel <laughs> very out, chaotic maybe. personally, but yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I wonder, um, you know, when we're talking about work and, you know, storytelling and really focusing on, your role and how you got here, but 
really, as I understand it, like so many parts of life come together just to inform and influence this one part. And I think storytelling is very similar, like leading a, a dynamic life might might help you have these experience and kind of be be plugged in to storytelling. Um, I um, I didn't realize this when I was in college. Um, I had taken a I, I went to school to be an English teacher, uh, a high school English teacher, and I was a writing tutor um, my last year of college and helping teach writing. And I had to do this assignment about how writing was important to me. And I didn't think writing was important to me, but they had asked to like, go through your life, you know, and write down, think of all the times you wrote stuff. And I, and I thought about it and I had, you know, when I was in, I remember being in like middle school and me and a friend who was, the friend was the artist and we drew all these characters, like, and we, I mean, you would think about it as writing a book. Like I wrote out the descriptions. We took, we based them off of people in our grade and like twisted them into like different characters, but she drew them and I wrote them. And we, I think we had like 10 or 20 characters. And then when I was in high school, we, we there was a talent show. I volunteered to like write the script, um, you know, and like 50 girls were in it, you know, like of the senior class. And like, I had a, like, people just kept coming. I want to be in the, you know, I want to be in it. And so I'd write them apart, write them apart. But like, you don't, I don't think it was even until, you know, I've always, you know, marketing, you have to be able to write and communicate well, but you don't think about it as storytelling until like you're way into a job, you know, trying to like build out different content to sell, you know, a product. And now, you know, we have video, the video is much more engaging with people. So like, and it's much more, it's a much harder story to tell, I think, um, you know, because it's almost like you think how hard it is for people to make decent movies. Um, so it's, it's, for me, it's always just been there. I don't think I realized, I don't think I would have ever identified as a storyteller until the past, you know, few years or something, you know, I may have even thought I'd like forgot about it until, you know, now we talk about content marketing and like we were at Rent Ready, we're building a brand. And, and I always said, I don't, we didn't spend a lot on branding. And just this past year, we started, you know, when we started working with you guys and I was like, I think we can actually spend media on brand spend now because we, I now know what our story is and I now know what story I want to tell. I struggled like the first few years. What is the difference between brand spend and performance spend? Um, but now, um, and I, no one could answer that. I would ask, you know, lots of people, like, what do you do? What do you do at this early stage of a company? Um, how much of your media spend do you allocate to branding? Um, and I could never get a straight answer. And then I think just this past summer, I was like, I think now we know because now we have a great story we can tell. And we want to share that story. But maybe the answer all along was don't spend until you're ready to tell your story. We hadn't really defined our story yet. Um, but now we do have a story and we want to share it. So it almost doesn't matter what we spend. We can spend whatever we want because we're sharing our story. Yeah, that's really interesting. I like that idea of, of don't spend until until you know your story. I think there's a lot of truth in that. We work with 
some companies are like a lot earlier stage even than y'all and um it's I, honestly i'm going to start saying that exact thing um but i say a similar ish thing which is which is like you got to figure out what works before you can really hit go on things and there's no like there's no real one formula for because it changes by business it changes by industry it changes by buyer it's like it, it particularly with video because video can it can look like so many different things it's like it, it's kind of it's kind of dependent upon the situation but i like that idea of like don't spend until you know your story that's a good tagline yeah i think viewers can see it too like even from a short ad to like our background as filmmakers like when people see something half-baked like maybe they can't break it down and say just why but they know like you know, they, maybe they just don't connect to it you know but it's true it can I won't say necessarily it's a waste because you can learn so much from that. But um, yeah, viewers are really smart. And video is expensive. Um, it, and it takes, I again, under, I always, I underestimated the time it would take to like go back and forth and um, think about things and, you know, involve different people. Like it's, it's really hard, but like, you know, I've, I've, my whole journey at Rent Ready, I say it's really hard. It was really hard to sell Rent Ready in the beginning. And then we got good at it, but like Rent Ready is a really tough product to understand if you're not in the business or like, it's a new concept. We're not selling shoes. Like we're selling software that deals with different payment accounts and different banking. And, you know, like that can get boring to some people. Yeah. Like, so that and makes you're it selling, harder. How do you make that yeah. interesting? And you're selling software to people who didn't know they needed software or that software like this could even exist. Cause you really, there isn't, there's similar ish type things that do like one piece of it or another piece but not this all encompassing. So I imagine that's tricky. Like for a landlord who has like three properties, they, they don't, they're not thinking, let me go find a software that is going to help me do this. They're like thinking, you know, how can I get a better interest rate? I need to know my lender. I need to know, yeah. like, you know, those are the things they're worrying about. And they've got a folder stuffed with papers <laughs> and a couple spreadsheets, you know? Yeah. At but, best, at best. Hopefully they have some spreadsheets. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Um, well, awesome. Uh, what else should we talk about? <laughs> we covered a lot. We're coming up up here on some time. I think we we all probably have some things things we could be doing besides talking for forever. Hannah, it seems like you have another question. Um, I don't, but I certainly can come up with one. I mean, I do, but I don't know if I if you have the time to even go there. But maybe briefly, you could just go over Kelly something that we talked about. Um a little earlier just the like transition from the world of fiction that you were so interested in as an english major into this world of nonfiction. um obviously we obviously have a little bias towards nonfiction, um but yeah just as someone who had a vastly seemingly vastly different interests in college and to wind up in this career, I know that there was some lifestyle and just interests, things that happened that drew you into this. So um, yeah, I guess the question I, is, how did you land here? It's, it's, I've been here a while. Um, but I think overall, you know, I, 
I actually, you know, when I was in college, I did a lot of reading. I, I wanted to really just learn as much about women's history as I could. I read a lot of Edith Wharton, um, you know, all those early American, anything to do with New York. I love New York City. Um, you know, I lived in Brooklyn for almost 10 years, but anything to do with history of, you can even go, you know, New England, like Newport. Um, if you think like the early 1900s, um, you know, I just love all that history. But when you read about it in the so-called history books, when I was younger, you couldn't get any information about women. So I fell to, you know, fiction um, the few women authors who did a very good job of detailing the history of what life was like. I am very curious about life and stories of other people. Um, I don't pay attention necessarily to the facts, um, but I, I'm much more interested in a cultural history and the differences, you know, just what happened and why. And it's, it's just very interesting to me. Um, when I moved to New York, when I was in my early twenties, I could not find a job. Um, I, you know, I went to a state school. Um, I had an English degree you know, because I decided at the last minute, I didn't want to be a teacher anymore. Um, and nobody would hire me. It was, you know, I think it was in 2003. Um, nobody, they only wanted people who, you know, went to, you know, very prestigious universities, um, and it was impossible, but the, I was lucky enough to get a job at a startup, um, you know, and they, um, that company was soon acquired by AOL at the time. And, um, that job, you know, I was able to pick up a lot of skills very fast. And I learned that, you know, it didn't really matter, you know, where you went to school. It was just how hard you worked. And if you, basically kept working um, because things change and they move so fast in the startup world. Um, some days you have good days, some days you have bad days. But from there, I was able, you know, to go to different startups. Um, and I met people along the way who I enjoyed working with and some I'm still actually in touch with um, and have very good relationships with them and will help them from time to time on different startups that they're working on. Um, but it's just been a great learning opportunity of, you know, like it almost doesn't really matter where you come from. It's just, you're here today. You show up to work, you have an idea. Everyone's like, let's see how that idea works. Um, and you have a lot of autonomy, um, over the years, you know, after I got married and had kids, the startup world was always open to me having a flexible schedule, um, which allowed me to keep working because I don't even like, now in a post COVID world, if I wasn't a hundred percent remote now, um, I don't know if I'd be able to handle working with three kids at home. Um, it just, it's too much. Um, it's, there's a lot going on, but, but now because I'm a hundred percent remote, it actually works out. Um, before COVID, the startup world was always willing to let me make up my own schedule. Let me work partially remote. Um, some jobs I, I took jobs where I was working, you know, I would do a partial position where I worked 30 hours a week from 10 to four in the office a few days a week, um, just so I could get my kids off to school and then be home for dinner. Um, so 
I have friends who have either stopped working or, you know, don't necessarily, haven't necessarily had that freedom. Um, so that's one thing, you know, there's two parts I think, which have kept me in the startup world. One, obviously I love the work. I love that. I, I think I like, um, you know, the adversity, just the people telling you that like, this hasn't been done before. We're not sure it can be done. I want to go out and prove it can. I don't, you know, I've worked for a wedding startup. Um, I've worked for a mapping startup. You know, I've worked for an agency selling, you know, endless subscription box um, of, you know, kits and things. Um, but it, it's just really fun to work on something the first time and be like, oh, this is a novel concept. Let's figure out how to make it work. Um, I don't like to, you know, I will keep trying until something works. Um, so that for me, you know, that create that curiosity, that creativity, that freedom of thinking um, it, is, is rewarding, you know, and, and we have numbers. I work in marketing, so I have numbers to back up when I'm successful um, with an idea. I can build reports and tally up numbers that show success, which not everybody can do that. That makes it, that turns it into a video game really. Um, and it gamifies the whole situation. But the other side of it is just being able to have that work-life balance. Um, I get the best, I, I don't want to say I have the best of both worlds. I don't want to dare say I have it all. I don't think people can have it all. I don't believe that statement. Um, I hate it when people say that. Um, but, but I'm happy with what I have and I've been able to make my own life and keep my balance. You know, I, I coach my kids sports teams. Um, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. You know, <laughs> that's grounding too. I love that. You know, because What's again, sports? you go, I leave work early <laughs> soccer and, <Nice>. um, <laughs> it's one of those things where like, I don't, you know, when they were little, you kind of just kind of get them going the right way. Like you don't want them scoring on the wrong goal. Like, and it, and like the little ones would just run when they were tired, they would just run off the field and go sit with their mom. And like, ah, sub, someone else get on the field. Um, but as they get older, you know, they get more upset when they lose, um, you yeah. know, but, but they also learn things. So it's, I, I do love that aspect of it, of, you know, that's also rewarding, even like yeah. just seeing the, you know, the little kids learn things and get better yeah. over time because I've been, I think I'm on year five now of coaching soccer, That's um, awesome. but it's, it's, it's funny and they're sweet. Um, but, um, but so, you know, having the two polar opposite worlds, um, you know, is great. You know, we get to have a career, and I get to have, you know, the family life and mix it together. So that's where, you know, at the end of the day, tech has been really great for me. Um, and it's kind of just moving through the different startups to figure out what I can learn next. Yep. Well, thanks for the time, Kelly. That was awesome. I really appreciate you talking with us.